0: Visit myflexlearning.com backslash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash B-E. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet? podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day to day solutions for raising kind, successful, well adjusted human beings and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen and welcome to episode 60 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I am really excited to invite special guest Don Barkley to discuss traveling with autistic kids. Dawn is a special needs travel columnist and her book Traveling Different is currently in press will be out in August. And for this book, she interviewed tons of families and experts So that she could get some insight into how we can support families who are traveling with autistic kids or kids who are neurodivergent in some other way and require some unique supports when they are going to be in situations that are unpredictable or when some unexpected things are going to happen, such as traveling. So I've come across a lot of information about how to help kids learn and even just how to help them Day to day, but I haven't really come across a lot of information that helps families specifically with travel. And interestingly enough, Dawn actually shared that a lot of the families that she interviewed initially just didn't travel and so they didn't get to have those experiences. So, in this conversation, she shares a ton of really useful information and resources for families who might have a child who is neurodivergent or autistic and who want to explore those different experiences but aren't exactly sure how to prepare their kids so that the whole family can have an enjoyable experience. So I found this interview super useful. She shares a ton of great tips and also some resources that can be really helpful, some different organizations and links to resources for parents so that they can find different travel locations and companies that can help to provide those accommodations when they travel. Before we get going, I wanted to mention a couple key resources if you want to learn more information on some of the topics that we talk about. So I mentioned that you know there is a difference and there are certain skills that can be Addressed really effectively in a direct therapy situation. So a lot of those academic skills and those language and literacy skills that are that are more academic and really tied to language processing as it relates to school tasks like reading comprehension and writing. So I know that as a speech pathologists, it can be really difficult to know how to intervene when there are so many different language skills that you can be working on. And just to understand what's the best way to spend that 30, 40, or however long your sessions are with your students and how to make the biggest impact in a short amount of time. So if you're an SLP and you want to understand how you can support those underlying language skills needed to support high-level comprehension and executive functioning, then definitely check out my Language Therapy Advanced Foundations program for SLPs, where I outline a complete framework that SLPs can use to support language processing in therapy. To get more information about that, you're going to want to go to Dr. Karen Speech.com backslash language foundations. Again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash language foundations. Now, as I said before, direct therapy is a huge part of what can help kids be successful if they need some support in language and executive functioning. But the parent coaching and training part of it is so important. And understanding what executive functioning is and how to support it across settings can be a huge part of a child's success. So I actually, as I'm recording this episode, am in the process of totally reworking my programs that are designed to help support executive functioning, and then also what I used to refer to as social skills or pragmatic language, what I'm now referring to as um I like to call it social problem solving or executive functioning applied to social situations, because I think that is a more accurate way and a more effective way to help kids be independent. So I did just want to make that announcement that I am working on revamping that and there will be more information coming soon on that. But if you wanted some information about executive functioning, then definitely check out my parent guide. Um, That'll help you out in the meantime. And to get that guide all you need to do is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide again that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide so now please enjoy this interview with Don barkley Today, I am joined by Don Barkley. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I thought that we could just start off with having you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here.
1: Well, thank you. I am a um, special needs travel columnist, and I'm the author of a new book that's called traveling, different vacation strategies for parents of the anxious, the inflexible, and the neurodiverse. So I've spent an over 30-year career writing about travel uh, in different facets and mostly for the travel trade. And back in around 2008, 2009, when I really needed this book, it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So I I wrote what's essentially the travel Bible for people who are parents who have children on the spectrum or who have mood and attention disorders. But what I discovered is that the special needs travel tips can help any family travel because every child is anxious or inflexible when they're taken out of their comfort zone.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine families with lots of kids, how that would definitely be something they'd always have be having to think about. So what, you kind of mentioned this already, but what inspired you to write this book?
1: Really, I, I knew so many people whose family, who had family on the spectrum. And I wanted a book that dealt with children who were anxious and inflexible and just had problems with transitions, had problems with sensory issues. And there was nothing available, which surprised me. And in my daily life, everywhere I looked, there was somebody on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And what they found is much later, they did the survey um, that of a thousand people surveyed with, that had children with special needs, 93% of them didn't travel, but they would if mm-hmm. they knew where to go and what to do. Yeah. And so it seemed like this there was a definite need for this book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the resources that I look into as somebody who's in the school systems, there's a ton of information about how to help kids with learning or even just day-to-day functional things like, you know, making a meal or getting out the door in the morning. Those are definitely things that are still challenging, but there's information out there about that. I don't see a lot of information about how to travel. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, and obviously that's unfortunate that a lot of families feel like they can't travel because of, you know, whatever reason. so you mentioned that there, you know, that you know a lot of families who really needed this information. What are some common things that were coming up, or common scenarios that were coming up for some of the families that you knew or that you were in contact with?
1: Uh, well, and also of the families that I've interviewed for this book, mm, because okay. this is not my story. It's it's hundreds of interviews of, of different. Yeah professionals and parents and people who specialize in uh, travel for those who are on the spectrum. uh, There was a lot of fear. What if my child has a sensory meltdown while we're away? What are people going to think? There was a lot of worry about what are people going to think? And so I have a whole section in the book about how people are handling that. And most of them are saying, I worry about my child because that's the only thing that's really important and getting that child calm, getting him or her to a quiet area, giving them sensory tools, um, like fidget toys and things like that, whatever it's going to take. And then I'll worry about the people around. Some of them have, have told their children, they, they, they've really worked with their children so their children accept themselves. And so one of them had a child that'll go up to somebody who might be staring and say, hi, my name is so-and-so and I have autism. And look, I flap my hands when I'm excited. See, with a big smile on her face. And and that's how she's like totally Okay with herself, and, and the people probably get a lesson as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who have come to terms with how to handle this and the fact that people will be looking on and can be some, somewhat insensitive at times. Mm-hmm. Um, they just go over and sometimes explain what the child has, the issues the child has. And, and they feel that traveling is an opportunity to educate the onlookers as well as teach their child about the world. So it yeah. works both ways. Mm-hmm. So that was one fear. Another is what to bring along, how to make the hotel room as much like home as possible, how to feed the child, especially if the child is a finicky eater. Mm-hmm. Things like that are addressed throughout the book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I know that for a lot of a lot of parents of autistic kids, the food, even just, packing lunches for the school day, or if there's going to be a change in routine, that's definitely something that comes up a lot. And traveling, you do have to be flexible because you never know what's going to happen. So um, I'm curious what kinds of strategies you learned from some of the people you interviewed for that particular thing. What are For some- eating. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I have a whole section on restaurant
1: dining as well. Um, and- I can tell you that with everything, first of all, you mentioned preparation and the whole book is about being prepared and thinking the trip through, even from how you're getting from home to the airport. I mean, thinking of every aspect and then making a plan for it Mm -hmm. Um, and then preparing the child because predictability is so important to children. You don't realize it, especially with a, a neurotypical child, but Children on the spectrum need to know what's going to happen. There needs to be predictability so that they can feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, So with dining, part of it is always making sure you have the foods that the child will eat. Mm -hmm. You might want to check ahead with a restaurant or a hotel to make sure that they'll have those foods on the menu or make sure you know where to go locally that will have those foods or if the local supermarket will have those foods. Some people travel with food, especially non-perishable food that they know the child will eat. They'll make sure that it's in their bag when they go on a plane or a train or in the car so they can hand it back to the child, Mm -hmm. depending on the child's abilities. Yeah. Um, and they will often get either a vacation rental or they'll get a hotel room with a kitchenette. So they don't always have to be eating out, Yeah. Um, which is also better for the child because a lot of children cannot deal with crowds and the noise of a restaurant or the waiting for the waiter. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And just in just the preparation of some of the people will, take the child locally to restaurants and try different foods before they go on an expensive trip. So the child has a frame of reference for what a restaurant is like. Yeah. 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 So along those lines, there's just a ton of where to sit in the restaurant, how to break up the time while you're waiting a lot of tips like that.
0: Yeah. I imagine all those things would be really important because If you have a child that hasn't been to a lot of restaurants, then practicing that scenario, I would imagine, would be super important before you go out. And then I think it is nice now that we have things like, like Airbnb, where you can get a whole, you can get an apartment for a comparable price to a hotel where there is a full kitchen. It's nice that we have some more of those options now, that, that we might not have had, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. I mean, obviously we always had them, but I think it's a little more accessible now than it used to be at least, at least very much. I, I actually used to work for
1: one of the very, very early companies that dealt with that in, in Europe mostly. Mm -hmm. So, and I was always um, expounding on the benefits of having use of a kitchen. So also if you have a buffet, if you go to a restaurant with a buffet, that's always a great idea because even if the food you want, isn't on the menu, they might have bread at one area and cheese at another. And you can go to the chef and say, Hey, can you make me a grilled cheese sandwich?
0: Yeah. You know, I think that, and, and there's, you know, a lot of different thoughts on this, but on one end of, you know, on one end of the, you know, the side of or whatever the opinions are i know some people you know will say yes we, we do want to teach kids to be flexible and get them out of their comfort zone but we can't necessarily do that in all areas at once. So if you have a child who's getting on a plane, that's something that's new. So we don't want to have that be new and the food be new at once, you know, one one yeah. new thing at a time. I think that that's really important and to be aware of how many novel scenarios you're presenting to the child at once because yeah, we do want them to be flexible but we also need to understand what they are currently used to. You know, great point.
1: And the whole idea is to introduce them to those different aspects before you travel. So there yeah. are there are programs like Wings for Autism, will, which will let a child experience what it's like to be at the airport, what it's like to go through TSA, um, all the aspects up to boarding the plane. You can do that. Before you get on the plane, you can go to a friend or relative's house for the night so the child can experience what it's like sleeping in a place different than their own home. And then you'll know what you need to bring, what aspects of home you need to travel with. Mm -hmm. You can try local restaurants before you go on a, a long trip where you'll be dining out all the time. So you can experience each of those things and create a frame of reference for the child at different times before you leave. You just need the preparation time.
0: Yeah for sure. And I imagine that um, the planning on the, on the adult's end is going to be so important here. So with, with a lot of the people that you interviewed, you know, you mentioned some of the things that come up for them, such as, you know, is my child going to have a meltdown? Are they going to have something to eat? What are some things that people tend to do, Wrong or some areas where people have been misinformed on this topic in your experience based on what they shared,
1: you know, i we really concentrated on what they learned without what they yeah. didn't know. Um, I think they learned by doing. so there right. was a lot of, you know, like I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, your own child and you just can't forget what you know about your child Yeah. uh, because some of the tips in the book are going to work for some children and not for others. So what, what did they learn wrong? I mean, one, one mom had planned an afternoon at a pool before they were going to drive home. And she really forgot that her ADHD child was sort of like the king of the family and got the other two kids were really happy in the pool. And this kid was like, okay, enough of that. Let's go. So she kind of forgot that it was, you know, she wasn't the one really setting down the rules. A lot of times they would follow the, the, the ADHD child. Another parent learned through experience that the first day of a camping trip really has to be a day where they're decompressing. They can't expect to do anything except for travel on that day and sort of relax afterward. Mm-hmm. So they add a day onto their trip. Mm, um, yeah. Another parent learned uh, with an RV trip that the child felt a little claustrophobic in the RV. So they broke the trip up and stayed in a hotel on the way to their journey. Yeah. Some people discovered that again, with a long plane trip, maybe break it up Mm -hmm. and get off the plane and overnight someplace. So the child isn't stuck on a plane for like 10 hours. If they're going to say from New York to Honolulu, maybe you break it up in LA or San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are a couple of the things people learned and they were pretty honest about, well, this is, this is what happened and this is what we learned. Mm -hmm.
0: So really it's not that people were doing things wrong per se. It's just that your initial plan might not be the thing that, that ends up working. You might have to modify it and be flexible and then use that information the next time you travel so that you can yeah. be more successful
1: yeah it's a constant learning experience. Like, for example, yeah, if if you're going on a beach vacation and your child has never experienced sand, you might want to get some sand from a craft store and put down a tarp and some sand and let the child walk on it. So mm-hmm. it's not a new sensory experience. If you're traveling from Florida to Alaska and your child has never worn several layers of clothing at once, maybe ha- try that at home first mm-hmm. so that they're used to it. It's all about giving the child a frame of reference,
0: yeah, for sure. So the next thing I was going to ask, and you have mentioned some things that I think would be helpful, you know, just dealing with unexpected situations, because that's inevitably going to happen when you travel. So obviously you can plan as much as you possibly can. You can give your child as many experiences as possible before the trip. But even if you do all of that, there are going to be things that come up because that's just something that happens when you travel. So I'm curious what some of the people did when those inevitable, unexpected little bumps in the road happened where things didn't go exactly as planned.
1: Okay. Well, one father said he took his son to Walt Disney World. Mm -hmm. And um, he's great about showing videos ahead of time of the the rides so the child would know what was going to happen and you show videos ahead of time of the um, the hotel and the airplane as much as the child can experience from videos or reading books about travel with their favorite characters. I list a bunch of books. Um, He did not anticipate that the child would be insisting on ice cream at nine in the morning. Mm. And apparently at Disney, they don't start serving the ice cream until 10. So the child had a massive meltdown. And he didn't know what to do. And he ended up calling his travel agent, who was an autism specialist. And uh, that agent was able to tell him what area in the park would be quiet for, you know, for sensory Mm. decompression uh, and where the child could play in a quieter playground. And um, that helped. He also learned, and and a number of parents mentioned this, that you can't do everything at once. Mm -hmm. So pick one or two or three things that day that you're going to do and deal with the fact that you can't get everything done the way you used to when, before you had kids. Yeah. And so he was saying, I can't tell you how many times we were at restaurants and my child would like fall asleep in a soup. We had to lift his head. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, or he would fall asleep on, on my, my mother-in-law. So, I mean, half the t- another mother's half the pictures are the child sleeping in a backpack at age nine as as we were carrying him around so we learned the hard way yeah um, that those are things that we can't do
0: mm-hmm. so nap time rest time just building in great.
1: yeah okay. building in a schedule that makes sense for your child like if you're going on a car trip And you know, your child sleeps during the day. Maybe that's when you want to do most of your driving. And you certainly don't want to do it during heavy traffic periods when the kid's going to be in the backseat and you're going to be stuck in traffic and the kid's going to be getting edgy.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know that, you know, even, you know, I I have some friends and family members of neurotypical children who even benefit from those types of things as well. Or, you know, it's kind of funny when, you know, everybody's kids are a little bit different. Some kids can tolerate a lot of changes in routines and um, can tolerate large crowds and noise and just going from one thing to another. And and other parents are very aware that, you know what, my child needs a nap. If I don't give them a nap, then it's not going to be a good day for anybody. And so, I always think that's really interesting when I've just seen some dynamics play out where, you know, people are thinking, you know, why why do they need to go back and take a nap? And it's like, well, they probably know their kids.
1: (laughs) I think that's so true. That if you want a successful trip as an adult with a child who's on the spectrum or has any sort of special needs, you have to make it a child centric trip. You have to know what is important to that child. And because so many children on the spectrum have, Uh, specific interests that they might obsess about up to 16 hours a day, you might want to build the trip around those interests. And so I have a long chapter that lists various uh, prescribed interests and museums and venues around the country Mm -hmm. under each that would, 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 you know, feed into that interest so that the child is going to remember this is like the greatest trip ever, because look, we, we went and looked at all these trolley cars and I love trolley cars and, or trains or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Well, and even if you do have some things that are things that other people want to do, that can definitely be something you could build in. And so that the child could look forward to it where it's like, okay, we're doing this thing that your brother or sister wants to do now but we're going to be able to go to you know whatever it is uh, yeah. afterwards so that there's a little bit of uh they can learn that that other people can have their time too but they have that time to look forward to i imagine that would be so important for pacing and just you know yes. through the day
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: And I don't know about you, but uh, after Disney, I like a nap in the afternoon. That's uh, (laughs) I don't know how people can power through that whole day.
1: (laughs) No, it's so hot. And I will say that there are um, there are nanny services specifically Mm -hmm. for theme parks where you can and, and many of them have special needs experience. So you might bring another pair of hands along.
0: Yeah for sure and i think um that's interesting that you mentioned the you know the father who had to find the location in the park where where the child could wind down and kind of reset i think it would be important to know who are my people i can call to if i have a question or if i have something that comes up i would think yeah. that you might have a list of list of emergency contacts.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true that um, anybody who uses a CATP, a certified autism travel professional, they're going to have somebody like that. But oh. they might also want to call ahead and see if there are any organizations at their local destination that deal with the population, because they'll give tips to mm-hmm. and, and make those calls in advance. Yeah, um, all that all that reference material is good. I mean, it's important to note that there are also certified autism centers and other autism friendly destinations, whether they're uh, attractions or museums or hotels. I wish there were more restaurants, but there is a couple of restaurants, and I list as many as I can. These things change often, mm-hmm. but uh, they'll also have maps and sensory guides available for parents so that you'll know in advance where you can go yeah. for for to 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 decompress.
0: And do you have all of these things that you're mentioning are these in your book?
1: Yes, and okay. but they this drives me crazy because I'm so obsessive, but they change so frequently that I up to the moment of publication I've been changing things with my with my editors and saying, "Wait, don't do this because you know, now there's a whole new list of of certified autism centers and I want to make a change so it's as accurate as possible. So yeah. it is accurate as of like yesterday. Uh-huh. But but things keep coming up and so I'm I've got a blog under the travelingdifferent.com name and I'm putting all the updates in there so I'll be able to keep accurate and people can check that to see yeah. updates on the book and anything else that's new like the Azores are coming up with a whole new initiative dealing uh with uh, changing things so that they're more, um, they're more accessible and inclusive. And so I just wrote a whole story of that for insider travel report and I put it on my blog. So it'll be up to date that way.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. So at least they can get some starter, some information that about the names of these, these organizations, but then get some more updated information. I'm sure you have some of these links in your book as well. Oh,
1: tons. And there's also a list of all, um, all the certified autism travel professionals that contributed to the book are listed. Okay. And then uh, a way to find out others that may not have been interviewed for the book, but exist. Yeah. So uh, yeah, anything you want, I couldn't cover every museum, but there's a link to like 600 other museums or, you know, everything. I'm I'm a nut about research. So anything I could do to make it easier for people is there.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's sounds amazing. I think that would be so helpful for so many people. So I'm curious, like all of these things that you are mentioning, like these, these places you can go and are definitely things that parents can do to make sure that they are prepared, as prepared as possible when they travel, what other things, just when they're out in public or in a new location, what else can parents do to just kind of help advocate for their kids and just make sure that their needs are met when maybe other people who are around them might not necessarily be aware of of the needs?
1: Well, you definitely have to be an advocate for your child. And you definitely have to be vocal about what the child needs. And if you're not getting what you want or need, you can go to a supervisor or to a manager and ask for those things. Ideally, you will have arranged for those things ahead of time, or you'll make sure that you're going to a hotel or a museum that offers them. Mm -hmm. I am very clear in the book that even if a hotel or a, an attraction is um, labeled in my book as CAC, which is Certified Autism Center mm-hmm. uh, or Advanced Certified Autism Center, there are a few of those, basically the beaches properties yeah, um, oh, okay. or, or autism friendly, call and make sure you understand what that means. Yeah. Don't take my word for it that it's it, because the designations change, first of all, as I've seen recently, right. um, but also just because something's autism friendly and has a sensory afternoon in a museum, for example, which with low lighting and, and less crowds, that might be offered only one Saturday a month. And it might not be the Saturday you're in town. Yeah. So you want to do your research, which is why every location that I've mentioned includes a website, includes a phone number. Um you check before you go, don't, don't just take my word for it. Because like I said, everything changes. Um, There were so many autism centers that maybe did not renew their designation in 2022 from 2021. That does not mean they didn't have great um, certification and training, but after COVID, maybe it was too expensive to maintain that. Yeah. And so they, if you call them, they'll tell you exactly what their training was, exactly what they're going to provide, and do that extra step.
0: Yeah. Cause I imagine that not every place who that is certified has what's going to meet your child's needs. And you know, maybe the staff, maybe there's new staff that haven't been trained. Maybe there's been turnover, different management, or that there might be some other places that aren't certified that might be pretty good. So yeah that that preparation would be really important.
1: And I, I do discuss like, even if a hotel is not autism friendly, where you would want to have the room, how mm-hmm. to evaluate a vacation rental, how to evaluate a campsite to see if it's gonna work for your child. Um, again, I say the museums for special interest, they may not be certified or autism friendly, but the fact that they cater to your child is helpful yeah and you know, because your child has that interest, so they may be able to cope with the crowd because they're getting involved in whatever their interest is. yeah, uh, you know your child,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I would imagine that some places, even if they don't have the certification, they might be just very accommodating and provide really good customer service. And so they might be able to to help you out.
1: Yeah, but the training really helps because then they know what is needed. And I can't say enough for like um, IBCCES, which is the International Board of of Credentialing and Continuing Education Standards. They are um, the people who do the certified autism travel professional training, and they are the ones who give the certification for the hotels and attractions and theme parks. Mm -hmm. There are other groups like Culture City or Sensory City, Um, champion autism network. Mm -hmm. So important to see what is that training
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, and what does it mean? But I mean, if I, if I'm a child of someone on the spectrum, if I have a child on the spectrum and I have a choice of going to a place that's certified or a place that's not, I'm going to the certified location because Mm -hmm. they've had that special training.
0: Yeah. That's good to know. Um, I could, I could see that would be definitely something that could ease the anxiety a little bit if you know that people have been prepared and trained. So what about, so we've talked a little bit about what parents can do on their end to prepare, but if you are somebody who works in hospitality or maybe, you know, I have friends who have an Airbnb, what can people do to make their, um, their travel locations more accommodating for people?
1: Great question. Uh, that's something really IBCCES can help them with. They can take the training, they can get certified, uh, they can read up on what autism involves and just be very cognizant of the fact that every child is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in talking to the people who are changing things in the Azores, they even know that they want to uh, make sure that there are sensory friendly rooms available. They mm-hmm. want to make sure there's areas with low lighting. They want to make sure that the restaurants have a flexible menu, or maybe even can be available to cook for what the child wants, Mm -hmm. even if it's not on the menu. So those are the sort of things they can look into. I'm just, it's above my pay grade to train them. (laughs) I wish I could tell you more. I really concentrated on what the parents could do.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. But that's, that's definitely helpful because I think that, um, you know, I I have some speech pathologist friends who also have an Airbnb, and I'm sure that they would like to be able to you know, be more accommodating with with what they offer as well. So sure it'll sure be helpful for them. So let's say uh, that you have you're a parent of an older child who is, you know has has some different needs, but also is you' you're wanting to help them be more independent how can parents start to teach their kids to self-advocate and do some of these things on their own? Did you talk to any families that were starting to do that?
1: I absolutely spoke to, I have a section on older children. Uh Um, Some of them send their children to camps that are specifically for children on the spectrum. And so I have an interview with one of those camps uh, and describe Um, They describe what they offer. And although there was a group called Wilderness Inquiry, which would help children on different levels and different ages, uh, different levels of ability. So that was uh, interesting as well. And I have a profile of them. Actually, what was interesting in one of the camps was what they learned was that um, they might go to theme parks because older kids love theme parks, Mm -hmm. but none of them want to deal with with fireworks on the 4th of July. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. So I do. I I mean, there is there was one um, mom who was complaining that um, their child was not toilet trained and Mm -hmm. was older. And it's very difficult to know what to do. I think now that there are more oral gender bathrooms that it will be easier. But, you know, you take a child who's two into the ladies room with you and it's a boy and it's not a problem when you take a 12 or a 14 or an 18 year old, it's very different. So they talk about what they think should be changed and and there is room for improvement in that area. So I do discuss, definitely discuss older children and what's available for them.
0: Yeah, that I—that's interesting because there's certain scenarios that you know you wouldn't necessarily think of unless you experienced it yourself or if somebody you knew experienced it. Yeah,
1: there are also cruises. There's a company called Autism on the Seas that has cruises designed for people on the spectrum, and um, they deal with older children as well.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about cruises because I, I was just curious if that was a an activity that that any of the families you spoke to chose, just because I've never been on a cruise and the idea of being on a boat and that's where you sleep just gives me so much anxiety. So I'm curious if that is something that some of the families have done.
1: They swear by it. A lot of them, and especially there are five major cruise lines that specialize in this with the leader probably being Royal Caribbean. And I include a a whole section on what they include for uh, people on the spectrum. But when you think about it, if you were going on a tour and you were changing hotel rooms all the time, that's going to be far more distracting and upsetting for a child than being in the same room every night that has been set up the way, maybe the way it is at home. Maybe you've yeah. brought a lamp from home or the sheets and towels from home, which a lot of people recommend even the toiletries from home. Mm-hmm. So the child has familiar scents. Um, yeah. And then there are activities. Now the travel planners that I spoke to were divided on whether a big cruise was better than a little cruise. And like you could take a yacht, which I know is out of a lot of people's price range, but yeah. then you're the only family there. Same thing with a houseboat, which is a little less expensive, obviously, than a yacht. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty there is you're doing the cooking. You're the only family on board. you know. So it's it's lovely for you because you don't have to worry about other people. Right. Um, And then there are ships that are all different sizes, different lengths of trip. I grew up cruising, so I'm a big proponent of cruising. And so on the larger ships, I mean, you have ships, three, four five thousand people. There's a lot more public spaces and there's a lot more activities going on. So you might find, say, your own tribe and there'll be smaller, less people in one different area. So it can work for you. Yeah. And and.
0: Oh, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I say
1: the other thing about cruising is when it comes to shore excursions, you're going to maybe stay on board because that's when everybody's left and you have the pool to yourself and you have a lot of the facilities to yourself. So that might be something you do a couple of times. You certainly want to investigate the port stops and make sure you're not going to get involved with something that's not going to work for your child.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point about that where you sleep isn't changing, even though the place that you're going is changing. So you could potentially have some different experiences and not have to change the location of your hotel room. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I usually like to be on land and do it the other way around, but, but I could imagine some of these things you brought up could definitely be beneficial for someone who likes to sleep in the same place every night when they're on vacation, or at least most of the nights. So we talked about cruises. What are some other, I mean, let's see, we also talked Disneyland, Disney World. What are some other vacation spots that you have heard people doing that they where they've been able to, you know, have a really good family vacation? The theme parks are very
1: popular, even though I'm personally not a
0: big proponent
1: of theme parks. I don't really love them, but the families really do. Mm -hmm. Uh, The water parks are very popular, and a lot of them have their certification now, uh, as do the theme parks. Um, You can, uh, beaches is very popular. Okay. But also, vacations that involve things that you wouldn't necessarily think are therapeutic, skiing, golf, scuba. I talk about a number of companies that offer those kinds of um, facilities that are adapted for people with invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, I even talk about how you can take a, a place like Philadelphia, which in itself, or New York City, which in itself might not be certified the way Mesa, Arizona, the whole the whole city is certified. So anywhere you go is probably going to deal with a well with anybody on the spectrum. Same thing with um Myrtle Beach. Oh, and okay. uh, there's a city in California. And if I pronounce it wrong Vizalia. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but that's just gone um CAC Autism Center. So you can travel around there and be able to find different um places that can help you and, and cater to what you need, but you take a place like Philadelphia within maybe a 90 mile radius. There are so many different attractions that you can go to, um, that you can turn it into your own autism friendly vacation. Yeah. And, and I talk about those, I point out those cities.
0: Mm-hmm. What about things like hiking or camping? Is that something that people do?
1: Yes, I have a whole chapter on camping. As you can tell, a lot of chapters. It's a yeah. very long book. It's 344 pages. Camping is discussed in length and also how to evaluate the campground, knowing in advance that you're going to have to deal with like the smoke of a fire or oh, yeah. people nearby who might be making noise or the fact that if your child doesn't swim, you don't want to get a campsite that's near the water. Mm-hmm. Um how to evaluate the campsite ahead of time is important. Uh, how to get there. If you're going to do tent camping versus an RV versus a cabin, yeah. all those things are discussed. Um, nature vacations are very popular. I talk about uh, the national parks pass, which you can get a discount on or get free if you have a child with a disability. So that's discussed and how to obtain that. Um, and so I try to do include information on activities that were, that would. Work with people of all budgets mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like there is so much valuable information in there. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited to to share it with my audience, and um, I'm certainly excited to check it out as well. Thank you. <laughs> so, do you have any uh, I, one other question that I wanted to to ask just before? we wrap up which we've kind of covered but are there any other common unexpected triggers that you have noticed that have come up for families that people might want to prepare for
1: that's a good question um because i i to Talked to about actually something that's not in the book, but was brought up by another interviewer. Something yeah. I'm writing an article about, uh-huh. and that's what do you do after the vacation's over and the kid is having is coming down from the excitement of traveling, mm-hmm. and so that's something I'm I've just interviewed a bunch of um, parents and uh, CATPs about, and I'm going to put together because I've seen that in my my own home after the trip is done, there is a period of depression because the excitement is over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine that there there would be the transition before and after. I guess yeah. that's something that a lot of people would think about. Unless, yeah, um,
1: it's it's actually I I have to pat myself on the back that I did not go running to my editor and say, wait, stop the presses! I want to add another chapter. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, there's always a, uh, you know, a second, a second book then.
1: Yeah, I think so. But anyway, this will go in the blog because I think it's an important part that, that I not think of ahead of time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is there any other advice or things that we didn't cover that you want to share before we wrap up?
1: just start small. And I, I describe how to start small and really think things through. I can't emphasize enough how you have to evaluate every single aspect. And that's what I've tried to do in the book. Every single aspect of the travel, even the fact that you might be in a bus from the airplane to the terminal and how you're going to get the child excited about that if if the child is not excited about trips like that. Um, Know your child, be willing to try different things. If it doesn't work, realize that you'll have another chance and you can try again later. Uh, Don't be so hard on yourself. I have to say, when I gave birth, I was told by someone, and I cherish this, that every mother is entitled to 2,000 mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so I think I've gone over both but what can you do? Um, and I think that has to be true for travel as well. I mean, I've offered all these tips in the book, but if somebody who reads it has uh, something else to say, has an, uh, a different experience or an anecdote that I can use in the blog, or just is really happy that I've opened up the world to them, if they would send me an email and let me know their thoughts, that would be very meaningful and I'd appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So where can people go to find find out more about you and about the book? Well, I'm at
1: TravelingDifferent.com. Okay. And the book can be purchased there. I mean, it can't purchase, but I've got the links. It's available everywhere. If you Google Traveling Different and my name, Dawn M. Barclay, you're going to find it in a number of different places. I mean, it's in the regular places like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, uh, and the indie stores. I'm really pleased with how the, um, the publisher is Roman and Littlefield and it's available on their site as well. And they've done a great job of distributing it everywhere. <laughs> so it can be purchased right now. It can be pre-ordered both the hardcover and the, uh, audio can be pre-ordered. Mm-hmm. You'll have to wait until August 15th when the book is released to get the ebook. Okay. And, um, People have organizations they'd like me to speak at. I can do that in person or via Zoom. I'd be happy to speak to them about that.
0: Wonderful. So, we will include all of the links to your website for this book in the show notes. And I know that I have a lot of speech pathologists, teachers, parents who would also like to think about some self care for themselves, you know, and a lot of people who like to read good books. So, you you write on other topics as well. In addition to this,
1: I write fiction. Okay. <laughs> this is my first nonfiction book. Although I always thought this would be my first book. I, I have, um, this is my eighth book. So what so,
0: kind of, uh, what kind of fiction genres do you, have you written before?
1: Um, I write as D period M period bar B A R R I've written psychological thrillers. Some of them are a little racy. So I'm giving you advanced notice on that. And okay. I've written women's <laughs> women's fiction and romantic suspense.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, in case anybody wants some some fun reading that they can do to wind down on their own, we can we can share your links to those as well. Because I know that wonderful <laughs> you would be surprised. Like in a lot of the professional groups that I'm in, people will ask clinical questions, but then sometimes people will just go in there and say, "Does anybody have any good books I can read? I need to just relax over this weekend." So I think that could be useful for them as well. So
1: wonderful, really appreciate that.
0: Sure. Okay, well, thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: And thanks for having me. It's been so much fun.
0: Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you to check out the show notes for links to Dawn's blog, where you can get information about her book and where you can get some of her blog articles that just share some additional tools and tips for traveling with autistic children. She mentioned some updated links because a lot of the organizations are constantly updating their websites and there's always new information coming out that can help families to accommodate their children when they're traveling. So definitely check out her blog. And then also Dawn is a fiction writer and she's published under the name DM Bar. So you can check out some of her fiction work as well under that name. I also wanted to remind you that if you are an SLP and you want a framework to show you how you can support language processing skills in therapy with a systematic process that shows you exactly how you should cycle through the language skills that kids need in order to be successful in school, including the skills that are going to build high-level comprehension needed for reading and writing, as well as the language skills that are going to support executive functioning across settings, then definitely check out my Language Therapy Advanced Foundations program for SLPs. To get more information about that program, just go to drkarenspeech.com, backs language foundations. Again, that's drcarenspeechcom backslash language foundations. And again, stay tuned for more information on my program that will be designed to help professionals support executive functioning across contexts, including academic settings, as well as social situations. So, That program is in the works, but if you want to get more information about executive functioning now, in the meantime, then check out my parent guide that walks through what executive functioning is and some of the specific skills that would fall in this category. So to get more information on that, go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide and you'll be able to sign up for that. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide. So before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you, if you know anyone who would benefit from this information, feel free to share this episode with them. And also, it always helps us if you leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. So thank you again for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.